Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss the exciting science behind HRV and how you can apply it to your own health and the work that you do. Just a note, this podcast does not replace medical advice, and if you're going to apply this to your own life or others, please consult with a medical provider. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Uh, my name is Jeff Summers. Good, uh, good to be back, Matt. Today, I think we're going to focus on uh, how to implement HRV in, in various environments. We've been really focused on, obviously, defining and talking more about HRV and what it means to folks and, and um, you know, trauma specifically in the last episode. But what we really haven't gotten into yet is how to implement it and what folks yes. really need to be concerned about when they utilize HRV as a tool in whatever profession um, you know, they may be in. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I guess, first of all, how are you? I just jumped right in there. Good. We, we, we were talking about, uh, I think all of our uh, Los Angeles uh, uh, listeners will, will hate us at this point, but how the, uh, the Nuggets <laughs> are in the Western Conference Finals. So sorry to all the Clipper fans, and I know uh, Laker fans will not be rooting for the Nuggets as well. But uh, hey, uh, it, it's great. Uh, Denver in Colorado coming from Indiana, not necessarily naturally a basketball area. <laughs> So when, uh, when, when Denver becomes a basketball town, uh, it always brings some joy to my life. So uh, I know as a lifelong Nuggets fan, you got to be pretty happy there too. Yeah, well, it's great to see the Nuggets getting attention while the Broncos are playing because yes. that never happens. <laughs> and yes, the Broncos just started playing in front of zero fans last week. But yeah, uh, yeah it's, uh, it's an interesting sports climate with COVID. They're you know, just different, man. Yeah, it's absolutely. Absolutely. Different climate in general, I should say. Sports yes. is probably the least important of all of it. <laughs> I think everywhere right. is different. It's just that they don't televise uh, uh, everything. So <laughs> That's it. Yeah, you got it, man. That's it. Well, well let's jump in here. Um, awesome. You know, you, you've got a lot of background, you know, in, in, in therapeutic care and, and running organizations that provide different types mm-hmm. of therapies to different types of clients and constituents. So you know, I, I know everybody's sort of heard your, your background in terms of yeah. why you got to get excited about HRV. And I think by now, hopefully all of our followers understand the importance of HRV. So what, what do we need to be talking about and how do we design a, a good program to implement it in a way that's going to be effective and, and really meaningful and move the needle for organizations that are interested? Great question. And so I want to start out, uh, we're going to hit a few kind of subtopics here. But I want to just start out, if you think about yourself as a therapist or case manager, basically somebody in the social service, mental health arena, substance abuse arena, who carries a caseload of, of clients. And, you know, to do this, really the ideal thing with, with the organizations we work for is trying to get folks uh, to take uh, daily morning measurements, um, if at all possible. Again, even once a week measurements give you some good data. But, but that, that uh, consistent more morning information gives you a great baseline to measure off of. So, so when we think about integrating HRV into our programming, um, what we really want to track is how are our interventions, how are our services impacting the health and wellness 
of those that we serve, whether we call them client, patients, participants, consumers, well, whatever label we might put on them. Because usually if somebody's in our care, we're, we're rolling out interventions, whether that might be referrals, whether that's mental health intervention, substance abuse treatment, uh, whatever that might be, is that we hope that we're improving their ability and their biology's health and wellness overall. We're hoping we're, if somebody's coming from trauma, that trust and safety is gonna help regulate that amygdala, sympathetic systems we talked about in previous episodes. Um, so, so really, once we get that baseline established, Jeff, it really creates a foundation for us to measure somebody's progress in care. Also, like we've talked about in previous episodes as well, if someone has a setback, a stressful event happened in their life, uh, HRV will likely, more than likely, go down pretty significantly. So it gives us that ability to reach out to folks even if we're not supposed to see them for another week or two. Um, we see that drop, it allows us to provide those, those services, um, that support that we might otherwise not know, know is needed. So I think we've covered a lot of this um, sort of in our previous work, but the one piece that, that I do want to cover uh, uh, with this is one of the things that really got me excited uh, about this when uh, I was talking and being introduced to this was a study done around social readiness. Um, you know, for, for so much of our interventions, whether it's talking to somebody about making a behavioral change, like getting into a housing program, maybe leaving an abusive partner, uh, substance use, or providing a mental health treatment where somebody might be um, addressing past trauma or hardships or shame uh, that they've gone through. Um, are they ready to have a intense conversation? So if you go back to one of our first podcasts, is someone in a biological, neurobiological state to have a difficult conversation? Again, we're always going to be supportive. We're going to provide empathy, compassion. But if you're going to think about addressing your substance use, that's intense. Addressing past trauma, very intense. So, you know, if you think about somebody, and let's just assume they've established that, that baseline of morning readings, um, what I'm really excited about is before I interact with them, having them take an HRV reading. Now, that's going to tell me, if I look at that and it's at or above their average, hey, we can dive into some stuff. I, I don't need to worry too much about the co-regulation piece, talking about stress. I might want to do a little check-in, but, but in my mind, I know, hey, you know, and I'm going to be upfront with the person, hey, your HRV is looking good today. I know we have some, some, some big tasks, some, some things to discuss, is it okay if we jump in? But hey, we, we can kind of get to some of the harder work. Where I really think this can be powerful, especially for folks that may be struggling with trauma, is we don't want to, in our field, what we call re-traumatize someone. We, we don't want to push them outside that window of tolerance where it might trigger that traumatic reaction. So if I see somebody in our parlance, Jeff, with our app being yellow or red, so, so they're you know, significantly below their average, I'm going to offer a lot of support. I'm going to really do a thorough check-in. I may need to actually, maybe they can recover, but I may actually have to be okay with not pushing them as much as I was planning to push them because I might, I might actually do harm. Um, other things that I can implement is 
some mindful breathing techniques, right? We know that that, especially if someone's feeling anxious, can, can help energize. If somebody's not getting a good night's sleep or struggling with maybe some depressed states, doing that co uh, coherent breathing where, where I'm, I'm doing an equal inhale to exhale, kind of getting that sympathetic energy from that sympathetic system into it. Um, if I see somebody coming in red, I'm probably going to want to take another reading after the mindfulness or after the support if I am going to try to jump into some of those those hard, harder conversations. If I know the person and they say, they say I'm feeling better and their nonverbal's looking better, I'm seeing them kind of perk up, maybe I'm okay without taking that other reading. But again, that, that yellow or red, especially if it's like 25% or below their average, you just wanna be cautious because this, this could be an alert to us that we might uh, potentially put them in a place where they're gonna, they're, they're not, they're gonna be re-traumatized and then we risk engagement uh, causing them psychological harm as well. So this is Jeff in, in our field of psychology. We had ways to kind of get to this. Obviously you can ask somebody how they're doing. HRV allows you to put uh, um, some objective information in this. We've had surveys, um, how accurate sometimes the feedback. I think we all question that. Um, but the thing that I'm really excited about is this gives us and the clients some data to, to really talk about. Because instead of addressing past trauma or substance use, the most helpful thing I might be able to do is just talk about what's stressing them out. How's, how's their last week been? So, you know, this can really allow me to structure my interventions in real time. And again, that second reading, taking three minutes to follow up, you know, maybe, hey, the mindfulness, the support has got them in a good spot. We might be able to rock and roll. Other times, hey, we just might want to talk about and keep you getting a plan for stress management, other things as well. So uh, really cool pieces for those in the social service, mental health, substance abuse arena uh, to really help us uh, uh, customize our interventions in, in real time. Yeah, which is, is kind of groundbreaking, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> one of those things that, that sounds simple, but the until you've got a, a quantitative way uh, yeah. to, to sort of, as you always like to say, understand how people are feeling inside the skin, you're, you're just going by nonverbal clues and what they're telling you, which is always the, you know, exactly accurate story. I mean, I know there's been many times where I've woken up and thought my score was going to be, you know, A, and it was, it was nowhere close to that, right? Yeah. Better yeah. or worse. Sometimes, I, you know, just it's, you never know. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's opening, you know, yeah, and, then, and then you talk about, you know, and then that's great sort of, you know, day of kinds of things. And, and when you look at interventions and, and how you plan those and yeah. you look at sessions and how you plan them, but then there's just sort of the, the whole, how do you understand the quality of care you're providing over time? Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And is this intervention, that's where our dashboard uh, plays such an important role as well as looking at this intervention over time you know, hopefully that their all time averages, their monthlies are all trending in a positive direction. Um, again, which as a therapist, you know, the, the tricky thing with our field is if you're going to address trauma, we might actually see uh, a significant decrease in HRV from pre-session to post-session because you've done some really hard work. You don't always leave a, a therapy session with more energy than you came in because uh, again, over the long term, we hope to see that trend. So 
you know, did we see a bounce back the next day, the next week? Um, you know, and, and so we can really measure this, but, but the, one of the big goals of services now becomes to see that HRV trend um, showing that this individual's nervous system is recovering, getting healthier, whether that's changing, you know, maybe giving up smoking, substance use, uh, getting in healthier relationships, uh, getting in a better housing situation, getting th those sort of things, all that should improve HRV. Maybe not right away, but boy, what you want to do is you want to see that seven-day average trending in a positive direction. You want to see the 30-day average if they're in care for a long period of time uh, trending in that positive direction. So, you know, it just quantifies what we are trying to do and can measure the, the systems of the body that, that we're trying to help uh, heal, gain resiliency moving forward. Yep. Well, that makes sense. Like anything else in the body, you know, you train it and it gets better. Absolutely. And, and after a training session, it doesn't, it's not <laughs> in as good a shape as it was before. It's tired. And yep. it, it was hard, but yep. you did it and, and you've developed that resiliency. Or, or the goal, like, like I said, this is one of the big things from a physical place is that active recovery idea is, okay, yep. we may not get to, we may not be running today, but you know, your body can still most days handle, a, for most of us, a two to three mile walk. Uh, so right. you, you still can be so in, you know, as a therapist, I might not go into the, okay, let's do the trauma treatment intervention. Uh, but it's not like we can't talk about, we can't work out how to better handle stress. We can't maybe create a self-care plan. So, so you're still taking those, like I said, a, a three mile walk, you know, the more I see the research, it's like, probably the best thing a lot of us could just do is <laughs> walk. Like yep. we're not really designed just to, to sprint, so you know, even, even those distance runners in Africa, our ancestors, it was kind of a trot, right? You know, it was kind of, we, we are really good in walking so good for our biology, you know? Um, so, so some days the best thing I can do for my body is if I'm in yellow or red is to, to walk, still have that active. So again, doesn't mean you can't do productive work. It just might be different work and, and still getting to that ultimate outcome uh, uh, for, for the individual. No, no, that makes sense. And for all the therapists out there watching this, um, you know, if you, get, if you go to optimalhrv.com, you can learn more about what we do, how you can incorporate uh, HRV into your current practice. And I know we're, you know, working with a lot of folks in that arena right now, Matt, but there's also a lot of other folks that yeah. are, are in different uh, professions, different applications, where HRV can become, be really, really important, both professionally and personally, not just for an individual, um, but in your personal life, you know, just talking about family structure and things like yeah. that. As a parent of a three-year-old and a one-year-old, these two little kids are going to have a little device on them. Yeah. Um, as soon as, <laughs> as soon as their bodies will fit it. Uh, but, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about that because I, you yeah. know, I think from a therapeutic standpoint, we spent a lot of time and I think it's pretty clear. Um, what about family? What about medical care? For example, yeah. you know, this is, this is a biometric. You think the medical yeah. community would be the first to jump on top of this, yeah. um, and, and adopt it. And that hasn't necessarily been the case, but there's still a lot of great, uh, outcomes that can be provided by, leveraging this technology and, and biometric so yeah top of your mind, what, what, what are some of the the ones that you think are most important yeah let's start with families one of the, one of the other applications that i really I, I really drove me to to not drop this whole hrv in the helping healing professions was 
my, my passion for foster families. Uh, you know, I, I just have seen a great foster parent change the life of a kid. Uh, total 180, as I like to say, you would have, you'd have to show me scientific evidence that a great foster parent is not worth their weight in gold uh, for, for the great work that they do. You know, but, but a lot, when you know the kids that go into foster families, high traumatic background, they're usually removed from their home situation because of a history of trauma. Uh, that, that, that their uh, biological family no longer, for, for a variety of reasons, uh, can provide them a safe place for them to, to, to grow, mature, and grow up. And, you know, one of the things in the foster care system that just breaks my heart is a lot of times kids will blow out of placements is our language for them. So they'll be in one foster home and that won't work out. They'll go to another foster home. Uh, that may work out for six months, then that blows up, then they go to residential care. And some of these kids that so desperately need stability are, are just kind of re-traumatized by the, the system that they're in. And it doesn't mean like there's not great people trying to help them. It just, sure. just, the it just gets too dangerous. Safety becomes an issue. So one of the, the real applications that I'm excited about is to help support foster families. But you can really just take the foster out and say support families as well. Again, that's, that's kind of my passion area, but families. So families, we know, you know, if you want to raise a healthy kid, that kid that what we call in uh, the child development, that secure attachment is so important. And that's the healthy relationship in between the caregiver, uh, the parent or caregiver, and and the child. And Jeff, you know, you you're you're in the middle of watching this happen. Um, <laughs> you know, young kids that they're worthless. They they really are worthless. You know, a horse gives birth and the 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 colt is up running around in like a minute or two. <laughs> At least I, I think that's what I saw in a video once. Like you know, most even mammals. Can, can really do something of value pretty quickly after birth. Now they're still reliant on, on their parent, but you right. know, they can walk, they can, they can do some stuff. Um, you know, feed themselves, all, all those kind of things. <laughs> so as, as the young child, because we're so vulnerable, we're so dependent on, on our caregivers. And, and what happens is that, you know, all I know about young kids is they, they're hungry and they poop themselves. That, that seems to be, you know, what I, I like, you know, I, yep. your youngest is kind of turning one and I got to kind of like have fun with him for the first time. Like have a, have a conversation, look at a book, play with toys, right? Not just kind of <laughs> laying, laying there as a poop machine, uh, a cute That's poop it. machine, but now, now he's smiling, he's interactive, um, you know, so you know, lo loved uh, seeing him last weekend and just kind of, kind of having that kind of first kind of interactions with the kid, uh, playing and having fun, uh, and kind of uh, having those kind of interactions. So, you know, what what happens is as we're young child, especially as toddlers and as babies, we can't take of ourselves, so we cry, we get dysregulated. Um, so, so our ability to cope with stress is very, very low as a young child because we depend on everything. So I poop myself, I'm hungry, I cry, dad comes, mom comes. Uh, I realize even though it seems like my world's going to end because I'm covered in my own feces or whatever's going on with baby or I'm starving, <laughs> uh, I see mom's okay, dad's okay. And I start to learn 
that I'll be okay as well. So that's where that attachment really starts to happen. Now, you know, with a toddler who's running around like a crazy child now too, you know, that they can, she can go out and explore the world. So she probably, and I still kind of can see this with her, you can see it happen is, you know, you, we, you had some people over uh, uh, this weekend, she was kind of attached to you originally because, you know, ooh, scary people coming over. Yeah, but, new. you know, you could just, you know, and now, you know, I, I've, I've watched her. It's, it's very quick is now she's ready to play. She's ready to have fun. So now if she gets a little stressed out, she'll run back to you. And what you're creating there is a secure base. So with all that said, and eventually the kid's able to go off to preschool, go to elementary school, because, you know, I know mom and dad are kind of still there. Eventually they'll go off to college and develop to the point where they will no longer need you in the same way that they do to support their basic life needs like food and shelter. So, so what we're trying to do to help parents and foster families and kinship families, uh, you know, whatever the family structure looks like, is a care provider, a parent with a healthy HRV, that shows that they have the emotional capacity, uh, the, the, again, stress isn't impacting them in the negative way to, to build that type of relationship. Because that secure attachment, even though it can change later in life, um, people with what we may call avoidant, anxious, disorganized attachment, if they're in healthy relationships, that can change. Um, boy, uh, that's, that's kind of our template that we see other relationships in. So that's why attachment is such an important subject when we talk about child development. But a parent, and boy, I, I watch young, you know, parents go through this. They're not sleeping. Mm -hmm. They're no longer, like, taking care, like, as a non-breeder, taking care of me is usually <laughs> my number one priority. Taking care of my wife, number two, and she takes care of me as well, obviously. And then I got a couple dogs, and if you give them some food every couple hours and take them out to pee and poop, they're, they're pretty much fine. You know, now all of a sudden, as a parent, your life becomes about managing the stress of parenting. So we know that a parent with a good heart rate variability is much more likely to raise a child with good heart rate variability. So, so while attachment is a very complex process, you know, heart rate variability that can help to say, hey, this parent's in a great state to be a great parent. And we can see that in a child as well. So like with foster families, what I'm really excited about, and again, with other families that might be under a lot of stress as well, is that if a case manager, management person or some, a social worker is supporting them, they can check every day to see how's this family unit doing. And if we see spikes in stress or dips in HRV, um, we can reach out and provide proactive care so we can keep that unit healthy and intact. We can proactively provide support because God forbid abuse is going to happen in the home. It's usually a stress reaction. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not justifying it, but usually it's a result of a level of stress getting overwhelming and then overwhelms my ability to cope. So then I take behavior that's not, you know, good for anybody involved. And so if we can see that there's a higher level of stress, hopefully we can reach out and provide support to the family. Now, I also hope that this becomes a tool for families that aren't in any systems as well. Because again, yeah, your, your health and wellness is as important as anybody anybody else's. So I, I'm really excited for this tool to get it out there into family systems to help them track uh, their, their own stress levels uh, and again, ability to 
uh, really be the parent that, that every child really needs to grow up uh, healthy. Well, it makes total sense. And, and, you know, as a parent, as I look at the kids getting older, yeah. um, you know, what, a, what an interesting data point to have as they go through different phases of their lives. And, you know, to understand, especially in the world today with everything being online and, and so much of, you know, it's just changed so much. And yeah. we don't understand it as parents because we didn't grow up with it. We don't understand the stress that it causes yeah. You know, when somebody's bullying you on, on a social media site or something like that, you know, and, and to have this tool to say, okay, clearly something's going on recently because there's been a change in your ability to handle or recover from stress. Let's talk. Whereas, I mean, anybody, and, and I'm sure I'm going to go through it, but anybody who's had a teenager knows that they're not going to come to you all that often with those problems, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. I think it works both ways. I mean, as a parent, you're right. It's, it's very clear. I can draw direct correlations. The, the times when I haven't been as patient with my three-year-old as I would have liked to have been. Yeah. Um, it's because something's going on, you know, and, and yeah. typically my HRV score was lower that morning than, than the, you know, my, my average has been. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, you know, talking about families, kids, what about the school environment? Great, great. And, and so this is one of the areas that, that I still, my, my hope is that our next jump in technology, Jeff, takes us more into schools because there's just some practical technological uh, things that, that while I think some companies are looking at interventions, they're, they're very expensive uh, ones to, to put out there. Um, but, but I see a classroom of the future um, and schools of the future being able to monitor the stress of their student body. Um, I do a lot of work in schools. Usually if you call me in, you're not, you're not one to talk about the kid that sits there, behaves, gets straight A's. I'm the ones that's, you know, the kid, if the kid's throwing a chair through the window, that, that's when you call Matt. Uh, you know, so, so I've worked with a lot of kids with, with those behavioral um, issues, but I, you know, it was really informative. I uh, spoke my, my last kind of speaking engagement before COVID hit. Um, was at Cherry Creek uh, High School, a uh, huge, huge high school um, here in the metro area. Um, you know, and, and I had all these kids who, you know, looked like they were doing great, uh, you know, uh, athletes because they were wearing their uniform. It's like, you know, you know, is this stress traumatizing me because I feel overwhelmed. I'm, I'm feeling traumatized and can school do that to you? And I think, I think that's a great question. I think it absolutely can. So, you know, in the future, what, what I would love to see is kids wearing uh, monitors that are doing a continuous monitoring. So one of the things that my wife does, and there's a big focus on social emotional learning right now, where you're really helping kids understand themselves emotionally. And, you know, obviously that looks different in a first grade classroom than a, a junior in high school. But, you know, like for my wife, she, she does this program where they identify, hey, I'm green, yellow, or red. Um, so, you know, they're, what they're trying to do, because identifying an emotion is a very um, developmentally uh, and intellectually pretty difficult task to say, I'm feeling angry before acting out for a first grader. It's not impossible, but it's really difficult. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's difficult for some of us to, to do that as well. So, you know, what, what, I, what I see the future being is that as, as if you think about my wife during transitions, because as we talked about states, 
very different energies needed to be out of kindergarten and then come in to do a math class. And, and that transition into a new state's difficult for a lot of kids, especially for kids that might have trauma and other things. So what I would love my, my wife to be equipped with is just uh, on a tablet, she could pull up where the heart rate variability of her class is. Um, so yeah, she's relying on self-report still because you still want to have those, but she can monitor here. So she knows that, you know, if a third of the class comes in in red, um, a third in yellow and only a third in green, she might want to do some mindfulness activities to calm folks down and get more people back in green. And then if Jeff and Matt are still in red, she'll want to individually check in with them. So, so this gives teachers a way to say, you know, who's struggling right now and to reach out again proactively before that leads to a behavior that gets the kid in trouble. Because one of the things I learned about the young brain, Jeff, first grader doesn't sit in class and say, you know, let me weigh the consequences and the punishments <laughs> if I act out and choose. Are, are, the, are the rewards better than the negative consequences before I decide this behavior? That they're, they're just reacting to what their biology is going to. We could also, you know, even with high schools, probably the older they get, the more the kids might really get real-time feedback and that'd be beneficial as well. To say, hey, which of our teachers have good classroom management? You know, do we see that, hey, they go into Mr. Bennett's class and, you know, they may enter most of them green, but by the time they leave, <laughs> they're all red, right? You know, maybe we need to give Mr. Bennett some support on how to manage his stress in his classroom. Um, you know, seeing kids that are struggling so we can proactively uh, reach out to them. Because, you know, one of the things I've learned about this younger generation coming up, the stigma of mental health for these kids doesn't seem to be like it was in my generation. They're, you know, this here in great. Denver, they're saying, hey, we want mental health services in our school. They're, they're advocating for more therapists, more counselors for this support. So if we can start to quantify some of this, um, destigmatize that any of this even further and get these kids proactive help. Um, like whenever I talk to a principal, I want to raise your test scores. I want to, yeah. I want that line out those kids sit in the principal's office. Let's knock that out by a, let's get a two thirds of those kids back in class because we've got proactive interventions. We're giving them that insight. So yeah, I think there's a lot of really cool interventions from school. Like I said, the technology is, is either not there yet. Um, some of it's just how do we stream multiple device, device, Bluetooth devices at once. Um, wearables are expensive, especially the 24 seven monitors. So it's still maybe five years out, um, unless somebody wants to throw a grant on our, uh, on our lap <laughs> so we can develop some of the hardware. But uh, we'll, we'll be there probably, I would say, in the next three to five years where it's, you know, more affordable, at least, for schools to implement. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I mean, there's just so many different uh, use cases or applications yeah. in, the, in the school system. So what, so what are your, what are your thoughts on, you know, sort of the medical world? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess, why isn't it being used more? Number one is, is probably my biggest question. And, and number two, where should it be? Well, one is education. I, I mean, you, you had the story about uh, when we were early on this project, share, asking a cardiologist, uh, what, what they thought about heart rate variability. And uh, I believe the cardiologist 
may have said, I kind of heard about it in school maybe, um, until he went home and Googled it and said, you guys might be onto something. So, so they're, they're one of the reasons it hasn't been used is because the technology hasn't been there to make it a practical tool. What, what I really see, Jeff, is this, is the, this just takes vital signs to a whole different level. So, so you go in and you take height, weight, uh, blood pressure, temperature. I think that's the normal. Sometimes they do that reflex thing, though. The older I get, the less they seem to hit my knees with that little tool. Right. But, but, but you're taking vital signs about what, what's your state, if that makes sense. So if I had a bad commute or had a right. tension, a bad call in the waiting room or got a crappy email from my boss, that's going to impact my blood pressure. Uh, you know, so you're, you're getting some information and I'm not saying vitals are bad. Um, they're, they're data, but, but just imagine somebody taking a daily HRV score and coming in where the, the medical provider can say, okay, let's see where your HRV has been. So, you know, let's say you're struggling with an illness. Uh, so when did the symptoms begin? And I can start to track how this has impacted HRV, things like diabetes, seeing how, how these conditions are impacting HRV over time. So where the symptoms start that you identify, I can look at your HRV score. So instead of a point in time vitals, I've got this historical vital line that I can really see. Also hoping people that would see a drop in HRV might reach out proactively to their medical provider, say, you know, I'm not sure what's wrong with me, but I can't explain this five-day drop in HRV and to go in and, and have those, those conversations. Also for people living with chronic or diseases, if, you know, to alert a medical provider that, hey, their, their seven-day average is 30% below their all-time, might be able to reach out to them and be proactive, have them come in for an appointment. And if they say, hey, I'm just under a lot of stress at work, well, guess what? Stress is not good for a chronic uh, or any kind of illness or disease. So, hey, would you like a referral to mental health services to talk to a counselor? Um, so I, I really think this provides that vital information. And then what you can do is then track progress of treatment, just like we talked about with therapeutic interventions, track the okay we gave you a medication how's that impacted your hrv over the next week or two because you know most treatments should improve hrv scores over time and if the treatment isn't working uh do we want to switch treatments do we want to talk about uh different options that that might be available so um i really see this as you know, the future of that, that vital sign is that, that you're getting this on a daily basis. You know, I see future evolutions of our app. We, we've talked to people in the medical arena about maybe including things like blood sugar levels and other kind of things that, that might be those daily readings as well. So you can track those um, against each other. So really quickly, whether it's blood pressure, uh, again, blood sugar level, insulin level, whatever it might be, all of a sudden you can start connecting other uh, data points to HRV and really get a level of information that you can pull up at your fingertips that just gives you a much better understanding of what the person's dealing with than anything you can in a 15-minute medical visit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It's, uh, you know, to your point, sort of the next level in terms of preventative care, which everybody seems to be really focused on these days and as well they should. And, yeah. and, you know, there's a lot of options and there's a lot of 
technologies and just a lot of things coming out in terms of how do we prevent illness and in, in chronic conditions and yeah. You know, when you hear that dramatic drops in HRV predict nine out of the 10 leading causes of death, most of yes. which are health focused, um, you know, whether it's mental health or physical health, yeah. why aren't we using this right. in, a, in a much more wide scale fashion? And, yeah. why, is it, and, and, and why is this being more embraced by the medical community to say, hey, to your point, this is not right. an end all be all. It's just another data yeah. point that's valuable. And I'm hoping insurers were really, you know, like our interventions less than a buck a day. Uh, you know, right. it's, it's, and I pay, I pay out pocket for my insurance. I pay a it's lot. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. So, this would be such a small fraction. And if it can save, you know, an expensive surgery or medical procedure later on down the line, you know, maybe we can address some of these runaway costs. And this could really be a preventative, but a really data driven one um as well so I, I really think hrv is going to be more and more uh integrated in now that again the technology is allowing us to do this in a very cost effective way um this is going to be more and more a part of our our uh, medical preventive care uh, strategies excellent well good discussion today that was yeah. uh that was a lot we got into some new topics and then hopefully some listeners you know this really resonates for for their own personal lives or maybe something that they can follow forward on to friends and the various professions that we talked about absolutely and again it's just i i'm interested if, if any of our readers have ideas or listeners have ideas about other ways other uh populations uh, to look at this, we we would love to to hear that as well. I, I think I think our list is pretty extensive, but uh, uh, you you know even conversations we've had with people that have heard about us is is getting us into uh, uh, different arenas we weren't expected to get into, which is uh, uh, really exciting because I, I don't care if you're a call center worker, somebody struggling with homelessness. We we as a community have healthy people in our community. Uh, that's going to be good for everybody. So it's going to be good for the employer. It's going to be good for the person. It's going to be good for our healthcare system. It's going to be good for the health of our community. So uh, yeah, it's just fun to have this exciting tool out there for folks. That's it. Well, thanks, Matt. We'll uh, we'll look forward to uh, another episode next week. But in the meantime, go Nuggets. And go Nuggets. I'll see everybody <laughs> next week. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thank you for joining us for this episode. If you're interested in more information about HRV, please visit us at OptimalHRV.com. Also, if you visit OptimalHRV.com, you'll be able to sign up for our email list and download our free ebook, Healing with HRV. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next episode.